0: Last week we looked at the uh, prologue to the Gospel of John, as he kind of introduces uh, the book that he'll be writing, who Jesus is, and what the claims are that he'll be making about Jesus, and then validating. And so today he begins the story, and it begins with the testimony of a man named John. Now this is a little bit confusing because uh, John the Apostle wrote this letter. Uh, the John spoken of here is a different John. Instead, this is John the Baptist, as he's known uh, throughout the Gospels. John. The Baptist was a man out baptizing in the desert. And a primary question today that's being asked of John and that we're exploring in scripture today is uh, who does John claim to be? Who is the identity of this man John the Baptist who's out here in the desert? As we get warmed up on this idea of identity and conversation, I'm curious who would you say you project yourself to be? Like, here's the reality. We all engage differently in different situations and circumstances in life. We put our best foot forward and we put on a different face or we project in a different way in different settings. And if you don't believe me, uh, well, consider this. Uh, imagine going to a job interviewing and engaging as you would while tucking your children in at night, Right you would engage those two situations extremely differently. Is that is that is that true, right? And this isn't necessarily right or wrong. Now, to some extent, our identity, that is the loved child of God, should inform both of those interactions, correct? But they're very different places. We would project and engage incredibly differently in those places. I was called out this last week for projecting. Um, I'll tell you a brief story about it. Uh, I walked into karate, and I was already wearing my gi. And I walked in the door, and this kid that was waiting for his sibling uh, to get out of class looks up, and his eyes got big, and he said, you look like Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, cool, man, thanks. And I'm feeling a little weird, and I walk on by, and, um, and I finish getting ready, and I walk back out, and he's still standing there wide-eyed, and he says, he says, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and I said, I, I feel, you know, I had to engage the kid in this awkward moment, and I'm like, well, tell me what is it that looks like? A, is it the is it the beard? And he says, and the hair. <laughs> and uh, and so I'm kind of confused in this moment uh, because I'm not that big a Star Trek fan.
1: We are. I am. Star Wars.
0: I hope I offended some of you just now. I hope I offended you with that. Okay. But I am standing there a little bit confused, and uh, I walk in, and I stand at attention, and I look to the front of the room to bow in, and I look in the mirror, and I'm like, oh my goodness, he's, he's onto something here. You
1: look a little <laughs> bit like Obi-Wan. Yeah.
0: We all project in different ways, we're perceived in different ways, and today we ask this incredibly significant question, who is this man, John the Baptist, and what is his witness, what is his testimony about who Jesus is?
1: So today we're continuing the Gospel of John, but there's more details about John the Baptist in the Gospel of Luke and Mark, Luke and Matthew, and they give us more details. We know that his parents were Zachariah and Elizabeth, and that they were relatives of Mary. In fact, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, went to visit Elizabeth while she was pregnant. We know that an angel prophesied about John the Baptist before he was born, and he said that this, this kid, this guy, John the Baptist, would be filled with the Holy Spirit before he was even born, and that John the Baptist would bring back many people to God and would prepare the people for the Lord. We also know from the other Gospels that... Um, He was a little bit unique in his lifestyle, (laughs) that he lived out in the wilderness, and that he ate locusts and wild honey, that he wore clothes made out of camel's hair, and he preached about repentance, and he used some very bold in harsh words at times. As he preached about repentance, he called out injustices, both in the Jewish community and also in the Roman community that was around. And we know that people came out to the wilderness to him to hear him preach and to be baptized.
0: So we'll go back to the beginning of the text and begin to explore. This was John, John the Baptist's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. John says, I am not the Messiah. Israel in um, uh, an incredibly painful season of of their journey. Uh, They're under Roman rule, oppressive rule. Uh, For hundreds of years, they have not been um, their own nation, ruled by their own people, but instead, uh, vassal nations to others around them. And Israel is desperate for a Messiah. The prophets had said one would come. There is still hope a Messiah will come to Israel and will, will reign in the rule of King David, right? And so there's hope and yet there's brokenness. And this man John the Baptist uh, begins uh Calling people, or people begin to flock to him in the desert. So curious who could this man be? Is he a prophet? Is he Elijah? Is he the Messiah? And yet, John, from the very beginning of the narrative, is very clear I am not the Messiah, I am not your Savior.
1: And the people were expecting uh, prophets to come. There was expectation that God would send special prophets before the end time. There's even a prophecy at the end of Malachi about God sending the prophet Elijah back. And so before the day of the Lord. And so they're coming to him and saying, okay, we're expecting these special prophets to come. Is, is that who you are? Are we at those end times? And the answer is no.
0: So who are you give us an answer to take back what do you say about yourself John says I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness make straight the way for the lord These priests and and um Pharisees that come to question Jesus I'm so curious about their motivation What is happening in this moment? Are they seeking the Messiah? Are they seeking a Savior? Are they out here in the desert because they're curious? Could it finally be coming to fruition? Or are they seeking to discredit John? They figure he's another one claiming to be the Messiah. Understand, uh, in recent history in Israel, there have been quite a number of people that have claimed to be the Messiah or the prophet. People out in the desert gathering groups of Israelite people saying, I am the one that is coming. And they come, they didn't come to fruition. Uh, they were executed by Rome and nothing else came of the story. And so the Pharisees at this point, And the priests have probably gotten pretty good at discrediting or questioning. They're probably pretty, for good reason, cynical about these sorts of claims. But here they are asking this man, John the Baptist, who are you? I think in all likelihood, uh, they're in the desert speaking to this man, John the Baptist, seeking to maintain a safe status under Roman rule. Remember, every time one of these claims come up, a new king is born in Israel, things get chaotic and oppression and things of that nature likely get much worse in Israel. So my hunch is they're in the desert with the intent of maintaining a status quo to ensure things remain safe in Israel.
1: And John the Baptist responds with a quote from Isaiah. He says, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. And this is a beautiful passage. I want to go back and read this for us. It's found in Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 5. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her heart's service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sin. A voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight In the desert, a highway for our God, every hill shall be raised up and every mountain and hill made, every valley shall be raised up and every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level and the rugged places a plain. The glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people, all the people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken.
0: I want to notice first in this, uh, in, in this prophecy by Isaiah, uh, comfort, comfort to my people. Now, this is interesting because God had established a covenant relationship first with Abraham, the father of Israel, reestablished with Moses and all the people after they'd been brought out of slavery. And this covenant was very clear. I will bless you as a nation. I will give you a land, and through you will flow my, God, saying, through you will flow my blessings into all of the world, and yet you are to follow my commands. Have no gods before me, right? And they had laid out all the details of this covenant, and Israel as a whole had said, yes, we will do as you say. And now we find Israel, a vassal nation, suffering the consequences of having broken covenant with God over and over again. Understand, under the contract, under the covenant they had created, things are exactly as they should be. And yet here's God saying, speak comfort to my people. I desire to comfort my people, though they are entirely in the wrong and have no claim in and of themselves. God chooses a posture of comfort in this text. I was thinking about that this week. Do you ever find yourself in situations where you you look at a person or a situation and it's like, yeah, but they deserve that? It's kind of easy to do that. If I'm honest, I think one of the places I hear it in our society most often has to do with our homeless population. I was thinking, and we sometimes generalize and stereotype about drug use or laziness or things of that nature in conversations like this. And though there are times that's absolutely true and apply, uh, in, in our work, we get to work with some phenomenal people breaking cycles of brokenness in their family and coming out of tragic situations and struggling through things like homelessness and yet pursuing God and walking in remarkable ways that are inspiring to us and teach us about what it looks like to walk with God. And so we can't stereotype in those ways. But I imagine a similar conversation going on here. And I bring up something that probably stirs in us a little emotion, right? When we talk about homeless population and say, maybe we can't stereotype in those ways and I want that emotion there because I want to realize that as God speaks to Israel all that emotion should be there they have turned their back on him and walked away and they deserve anything they get at this point point. and yet what is God's posture in conversation with them comfort I see hurting people so I choose a posture of compassion and comfort is what God says in this moment
1: I love God That's amazing. Yes to that. And so then Isaiah continues with this topographical metaphor here. And he's talking about uh, preparing a highway for the Lord. He says, in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, this highway that runs through the desert, where the valleys are raised up and the, the high areas are made low, where the rough and jagged places are made smooth. And the context really is here of the the Israelites who've been in exile that prepare a way for them to come home prepare this highway this smooth road for the Israelites who who are in exile to come home it's about returning to God. It's about coming back to God. And if you look at the book of Isaiah, Isaiah will continue and he'll prophesy about the suffering servant of the Lord who comes and and will take on in suffering, will take on um, the sin of the world. And then Isaiah will, will prophesy about a new heaven and a new earth, and and you see the hope and the restoration. And so when we look at this passage, prepare, when John the Baptist is saying, prepare the way of the Lord, he's talking about returning to God and anticipating the coming of the Messiah.
0: Yeah, I think it's fascinating. Um, John's standing here in front of the Pharisees and the priests speaking uh, the words of Isaiah. The high brought down and the low spots the valleys brought up. And I wonder to what extent the application is the story of priests and Pharisees or even Rome power in the world brought down to a proper level and the humble and the meek and the hurting brought up by a compassionate God. At any rate, for sure, he's speaking of a leveling in which anyone is invited back to the presence of God, specifically in this context Israel, but from the most powerful to the weakest, there will be an avenue to access God. John is one preparing the way that Jesus might accomplish that.
1: Story continues in verse 24. Now the Pharisees who'd been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water," John replied. "But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me. The straps of whose sandals I am, I am not worthy to untie." This all happened at Bethany, on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. And so the Pharisees continued to question, question him. If you're, if you're not. These guys that we were expecting, then why are you doing this? And and John says that I baptize with water, but there's someone coming who will baptize with um, the Holy Spirit. Or we haven't gotten to that part yet. There's someone coming um, who is greater than I. Now, baptism is might be kind of an unfamiliar thing for some of us because that's that's a unique thing. Um in the first century, it wouldn't have been completely uncommon. It wouldn't have been completely a un- foreign to people. Because Because baptism was practiced as a a, a ritual, a ceremony of turning towards God in the first century. Now, usually it was Gentiles who were converting to Judaism. They would be baptized. Um, What was fairly unusual here is that John was baptizing um, anyone coming to him for repentance. So in, that would be Gentiles and Jews. That would have been fairly unusual for the first century. One of the explanations that, that I've um, read and heard uh, describing this practice of baptism that I find so rich is is this reenactment of the story of Israel going through the Red Sea As God was rescuing them from Egypt or or after the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, crossing the Jordan, entering into the promised land. So it's this reenactment symbolizing that this is a turning point, that we're turning towards God and walking into a new life with God.
0: Baptism continues to be practiced today some 2,000 years later. It's interesting in our context as a very diverse people, many different denominational backgrounds amongst us to speak of things like baptism. So as Sarah mentioned, John is here baptizing for repentance. That is to turn and, and go in a new direction, right? To find new direction in life. So in a season in life in which someone says, I want to put off the old and take on the new, baptism was a natural idea. Now further, the New Testament develops the idea of baptism in passages such as Romans 6 as this beautiful reenacting of the story of Jesus who died, who was buried, and who rose again. And it draws this illustration, this parallel, that in baptism we die to our old selves when we come out of the water to new life found in Jesus. Baptism is representative in this beautiful illustration of the beautiful work that God is doing in our lives throughout the Gospel of John and New Testament writings. We'll hear this idea of new life found in Jesus. And baptism, this beautiful ceremonial washing, this beautiful image of what it is that God is doing, the old buried under the waters of baptism, raised to new life and to new hope in Jesus. And so we continue to practice baptism today. Uh, In fact, this spring, we'll be having another Sunday where we invite uh, people to be baptized, and we're excited for that. But I do want to say at this moment, as we talk about John the Baptist and recognize that we continue to today, um, baptism is available any day of any week. And if this is something God has been impressing upon your heart, we do want you to know it is a beautiful and, and life-giving experience as we uh, as we put off the old, as we take on the new, as we choose to walk with Jesus. And if you are interested in talking about baptism or this very day being baptized understand this is a beautiful practice that that carries on today in the church throughout the world
1: john the baptist here says something that's quite interesting he says um the one who comes after me whose sandals the sandals of who uh, the straps of whose sandals i am unworthy to untie he describes this messiah that comes after him, and he says, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. In the first century, that would have that would have spoken volumes. Because you see, they had rabbis, and each rabbi had students, and, and the jobs of the student was to learn everything that the rabbis knew and to pretty much serve the rabbi. So whatever the rabbi needed done, the students would do. And that was that was part of how they passed on information and knowledge. However, there was this one rule that the students didn't take off the sandals of the rabbi because that was just too degrading. That was just beneath them, that they wouldn't do that. That job was reserved for the lowest of slaves. They were the ones who would unstrap the sandals of the rabbi. Which adds like whole new meaning to later on when Jesus is going to wash the feet of his, of his disciples. I mean, talk about flipping that narrative. But here John is saying, like the guy who's coming after me, he's so grand. He's so important. He's so greater than I am that I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. It's a very humble posture that John the Baptist takes here and elevating just just really stating clearly that the the person coming after me, that's someone we need we need to serve. John
0: looks up and he sees Jesus walking towards him and he says, Look the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Now, in Israelite context, uh, they would they would perceive they would understand precisely what John is talking about. You see animal sacrifices in israel 's history and throughout the Old Testament were a very uh, known and understood concept. Uh, the pouring out of the lifeblood of an animal brought cleansing and forgiveness of sins to the people of israel and, and so the hope the great hope in this text is that Jesus would be that sacrifice once and for all that would atone for all of humanity.
1: So the Creator God comes as the Lamb of God. The Creator God comes as a sacrifice. I'm wondering, have you ever seen a lamb? Have you you ever held a little baby lamb? Um, We've worked with a foundation called um, the Wishing Star Foundation. I don't know if you guys have experienced this. They're a local organization, and they raise funds to help families with sick kids. It's a beautiful organization. But they have an annual fundraiser where um, they call it their baby goat. Fundraiser, I think, is what it's called, and they send this little baby goat to people, and then the people hold the baby goat and they give their little spiel, and it's it's about a fundraiser. And so they came a couple years ago, and um, we happened to have some ladies meeting here, and everyone got to hold the little the little baby goat. Micah uh, wanted the goat to preach, <laughs> so uh, we, he We were a little disappointed; the goat didn't bat in the in the in the microphone. But what strikes me. As I think about these little baby goats and I think about lambs is how vulnerable they are. They're just vulnerable little creatures. And sometimes the familiarity of something, um, causes it to lose its impact. That here we have the creator God choosing incarnation, choosing to, to, to become flesh. We have the creator God choosing to sacrifice his life for that of humanity. And this is a really profound thing. I mean, what kind of God does that? What kind of God lays down all power and privilege to live a meek and humble life? What kind of God leads with invitation instead of force and might? What kind of God intentionally sacrifices his life to save others? And that's that's our God. That's the creator God, the God of divine love, this vast, unconditional, endless love. That's the God that we serve. And so there's this powerful image here when he says, look, the Lamb of God, the creator God who takes away the sin of the world because of his profound love for humanity.
0: So John in the desert, people flocking to him, being baptized, turning their lives towards God, asked by the priests and the Pharisees, are you the Messiah? Who are you? What is happening in this moment? He says, I am not the Messiah. And in verse 32, he gives his testimony about who Jesus is. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one.
1: Likely John knew Jesus prior to this because they were related. But here he says, I did not know him, but maybe that he wasn't the Messiah. He did not know, didn't have that sign yet, but God had somehow spoken to John. And he said, when the spirit comes down on the person you baptize, then you will know that that is the Messiah.
0: John. John waiting in the desert for the sign that God told him he would see, the dove coming down, the spirit coming down as a dove, and resting and remaining upon him. He sees it, and John gives his testimony, this, Jesus, is the chosen one. I'm so fascinated by the character of John, a man who was able to walk so humbly and so faithfully in his calling that he might perceive in this moment what God was doing who Jesus was, and that the Messiah, the hope, had come into this world. Imagine the humility, the posture, the faithfulness required to be this man out in the desert who sees and knows and speaks to the character of Jesus.
1: I also love that John's identity is found in Jesus' identity, that it's not the other way around. That John, even before John knew who the Messiah was, that that was Jesus, he he responds with, well, who are you? He responds, well, I'm the voice of the one preparing the way for the Messiah. That's coming. That John had heard from God and had seen what God was doing, and he had oriented his life around what God was doing and what God had asked him to do. He His identity was found in God's message and God, who God said he was. So John here is seeing the bigger picture of what God is doing and where he fit into God's picture and, and that was his purpose. And so I wonder, as we look at this story, I wonder if we we can ask ourselves today, where do we find our identity? Where does that come from? Where do we find our purpose? Because friends, it's good news that we get to find our identity in Jesus, in who God says we are. There are so many voices out there telling us who we are and who we aren't and who we should be, and who we shouldn't be, but there's really just one voice that matters, and it's the voice of truth from God declaring over us that we are God's loved children, And that is where our value comes from. That is where our worth comes from. We are treasured because not of what we do, but because of what God does, how God has loved us. That is the voice of truth. And as we live into that identity, that gives us such depth of purpose and meaning for our lives. We get to live out being loved. We get to receive that love and also treat others with that same love. We, we are called to, to embody this love of God and, and to look around like John did in his time, look around our community and our time here and ask, God, what are you doing? And, and God is always at work doing Healing work and transformational work, doing good things and inviting us to join where, where God is already working. And so, as love children of God, we get to we get to see what God is doing. We get to join in, and we get to be the witness, just like John the Baptist was. We get to to testify to God's love and God's goodness in our community.